but it's fun. And, uh, but I want to get through this tonight because the Lord said to finish up this particular series that we're on, Walking in Newness of Life. We looked at several things about that newness of life phrase, but let's look at our scripture up on the screen. This was the one we started with, Romans chapter 4, verse 6. And I'm just going to use part of the verse tonight, just a real quick portion of it. We don't want to spend too much time going over this one tonight. But look at Romans 4, 6 as our foundational text. And again, I'm not quoting the whole scripture tonight. You'll see I just started out in the middle of it. But like as, or just like as Christ was raised up from the dead, Paul said, by the glory of the Father, even so we, now even so is just like, see, just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so or just like the same life, we also should walk in newness of life. In other words, the same ability, heavenly ability, God's ability that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power, that, which is all the power of God, the glory of God sums up everything that God is. But the same power that God used, His own power to resurrect Jesus from the dead after three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, to raise him up is that same power that's resident inside you and I to cause us or to permit us, if we want to, to walk in newness of life and not walk like we used to walk. We ought to be walking different. Last week we dealt with the freshness. Remember that? A fresh and, and uh, that word new kind of stood out to me last week and so I dealt with that, but a fresh life. But tonight I want you to look at something and I'm going I'm to add that in. Notice the little parentheses I added in. This is me adding into the same scripture. But like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also by the glory of the Father should walk in newness of life. And that's the indication there. So we do that by the glory of God. Walk in God's life. What do we mean by that? Well, it means live in God's life. If we're supposed to walk in it, that means your day-to-day -day conduct, how you walk is how you live. So to walk in God's life is to walk in God's conduct or His manner of living. Now, let, let me say something to you and why that I'm on the particular thing we're going to deal with tonight, and I'll tell you in just a minute what we're going to deal with in this area of walking in the newness of life. I've pastored a long time, and I've pastored most of you a long time to the point that it's no longer pastoring but pestering, as some of you say. What I notice is that I'm always, you know, getting on, like you you be more enthusiastic, get excited, have an amen, you know, because some of you sit through church and never say a word. And I said, Lord, we got a real issue. I mean, there's a real issue. Why do people come in so heavy and so down sometimes? And, and it's not true of all of you, but some people are discouraged. Maybe it's because you're overworked, you know, around the church. I mean, maybe we overwork you and, and other people come in to help you and then you get mad because other people are here to help you. And, you know, it's just it, people just kind of develop attitudes a lot of times. I said, Lord, what is that? And what causes depression? Some of our members sometimes go through depression, heavy depression. And, and the Lord said, that's what the newness of life, because I, I thought I was finished with that part three last week. We were finished with newness of life. We was going on to the next phase. And the Lord said, no. He said, I want you to deal with tonight stopping the diseases of attitude because that's what makes people heavy, and that's why they can't respond sometimes. Now, it may not be your case, but it might be the case of somebody you're, you know are working with. But think about this. Walking in the newness of life, then, is walking in God's life or living in God's life. Or conducting ourselves. Who, who, who conducts you? Who decides how your life is conducted? That was a question. You do. Ultimately, you do yourself. Finally, it's you. You ultimately choose how you're going to walk. You ultimately choose how you're going to conduct yourself, in other words, or how you're going to carry yourself. So how you carry yourself then determines... Now listen, let me say that again. You ultimately get to choose how you walk. Ultimately, fi ultimately I mean by that the final one. It all boils down to it. If you've had a bad day, you chose it. If, if you're walking in heaviness because of circumstances, well, circumstances are not big enough in this life to dictate how we should respond. So ultimately, we choose how we walk and we choose how we conduct ourselves or carry ourselves. And how you carry yourself will determine what level of life that you operate in. What attitude you allow takes control or dictates how your life goes. In other words, if we conduct our life, then we choose the attitude we have at a given moment. You know, something can make you aggravated. You know what we say? We blame it on the situation. Well, this happened. How many of you would admit tonight that you've been through that thing where you play the blame game on everything in your life? You know, I mean, I hadn't got ahead because the economy's bad, or I don't get ahead financially because so-and-so came in and took my job, or this came in and that came in. And people, ultimately, the idea is... None of those things are to be blamed because you've got a list. I said this to you once before, but a lot of people have a list. They have a list. Of, the government's my problem. My wife's my problem. And, and you need to keep yourself on the list. 
you know, before you blame the president and blame the, the Democrats or the Republicans, because, I mean, it, it don't matter who's in office, you go and blame, you know, you go through that or, or, or who didn't do you right in school or something didn't happen right. But always just put yourself at the top of the list because it's ultimately you that's got to make the decision whether you're going to be yielding to what the devil's trying to say to you in your life or if you're going to yield over to what God said to you. And so you have to make that decision. And it all comes out by attitudes. What attitudes that you allow take controls or dictates how your life goes. Let's share something with you that the Lord said to me on Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon. The Lord asked me the question. He said, what is life? You know, you always talk about life and we're talking about this newness of life and what is the life of God? Well, this word life is zoe. It means God's kind of life. And, and the Lord asked me that question. He said, what is life? And I, and I knew the Lord was obviously fixing to tell me something I haven't ever thought about. And so I just said, Lord, I don't know. You know, you just tell me, I know it's your life, but what is life? And he said, well, it's not something, and you all heard me go through this before. He said, it's not something that you can tangibly pull out. You know, God gave us his life. We agree with that biblically. Amen. All right. But he didn't pull it out of his pocket and say, okay, here's my life. So what is Zoe life? Well, it's a person living. In this case, it's God living. But then he asked me this. He said, well, what is life ultimately? He, he said, life, James, is thoughts. It's the thoughts that you carry because that's what dictates you. If you think about it, when God breathed into Adam, what did he breathe into him with the breath of life? What, how did he do that? How did God breathe into Adam the breath of life? With words. With words when he said, we read the King James that says, let us make man in our image. And it's, King James is a nice poetic version of the Bible. But when you read it in the original Hebrew, what God said was, man be. He was holding man in front of him. That lifeless lump of clay that he had just fashioned into man looked just like God, but there was no life in him. But when God spoke words, those words hit his nostrils. Man be, or we'd say man exist, have dominion. And when he said those words, it blasted Adam's nostrils and he took his first breath and heard his first words was man being blessed by God. What do words do but give us thoughts? God blasted or filled Adam's existence with God's own thoughts. The only thoughts that he had was God's, and he carried God's, but then the test came. What did the devil do? He came with another thought. He said, I know God said this, that's God's thoughts, but that's not so. He said, you'll not surely die, and here was Satan's thoughts. Now man had a choice. Was he going to accept God's thoughts, or was he going to accept the devil's thoughts. And, of course, you know the story. They believed a lie, and it brought curse on them, right? But what, what did they change that day? They changed thoughts. And so thought, you could say it like this. Now, you go back, read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 if you want to prove me on this. But one thought caused Adam to go from life to death. So the difference in life and death is what you're thinking. And that's why the Bible was written, Brother Hagin used to say it like this, the Bible was written to straighten out our thinking. But the Bible was written to give us the thoughts of God so that we saturate. Now it would be our choice to saturate ourselves with the thoughts of God so that we always carry the proper attitudes that He wants us to carry. So what are life but thoughts? It's the thoughts that we carry. And that thought, the Word of God has, a, let me say it like this. If I hold up the Bible, you'll know I'm talking about the Word. The thoughts of God, which are the Word of God, the thoughts of God carry are filled or are pregnated with the life of God itself. And so when we put those in, we put the life of God in us. If we look at the words of the devil and we take those thoughts, we take his thoughts, which are saturated with death, and we fill our lives with death. So how much life do you want? Well, how much time you spend in this book will determine. You say, well, I'm always too busy for that. Then you don't see the value of it. So what is life? Thoughts. What is death? Thoughts. They're just a change of thoughts. Adam changed thoughts that day. Well, is that really true? Well, look at a scripture that we looked at already. But look at this, Romans chapter 8, verse 6. Jot it down quickly so I can read it with you. It says, to be carnally minded is what? And to be spiritually minded is life. Well, we, we could say this to have, now look at the word carnal and look at the word spiritual. That's the difference. Carnal actually is better translated your flesh, but it's not talking about your flesh body. It's talking about your flesh nature or, or the Adamic or the Adam nature that Adam got when he got Satan's nature. That's called man's common nature is, is the Adamic. That's the carnally minded. So to be carnally minded produces what? Death. But to be spiritually minded, which is God's thoughts, the Bible, 
is what? It produces life. And then I went ahead and added that last part, which is in the scripture. I just wasn't going to use it tonight because I was just dealing with life and death. But then he adds this, but it produces life and peace. And the peace means you get what you need because nothing's broken, nothing's missing. So when you start having your mind renewed to the word of God, you produce the life. You come out of death by producing the life and then you get everything you need. That's the peace. Go back to the King James for a minute. To be carnally minded. See the word King James uses the word minded. All right, but in the CSB version, it uses the word mindset. In other words, if you have a mindset of the flesh, you're going to produce death in your life. And then if you have the mindset, now mindset, I like this word because it means you've got your mind set on something. If you've got your mind set on a negative attitude, then you're always going to produce failure in your life. But if you've got your mindset on God's word, which will always produce the positive attitudes then you're always going to produce that life and peace. You'll get what you need. Can I have an amen to that? All right. Now, better translation, the CEB version uses that word attitude. It says the attitude that comes from selfishness or self-centeredness, the attitude that comes from self-centeredness leads to death, but the attitude that comes from the spirit leads to life and peace. So now we're learning now that the mind or the mindset is your attitudes. So that's why I asked you when you came in, what attitudes did you come in here with tonight? It sometimes doesn't take but one person, a stranger you've never met, you don't know their quality or education, to pull out in front of you on the road and your attitude's run for the day. Uh Have you ever been there? All right, now watch this. So it don't take much to shift our attitudes if we're not firmly set in the things of God. And we have to get firmly set. So another word for attitude, I'm going to use this, it's your outlook. That's just another word for it. What is your outlook? We could say expectation, or what is your viewpoint of life? What is your attitude of life? Look at this same verse in one more translation. This is the J.B. Phillips translation. Now, this is is really powerful. Phillips translation says, the carnal attitude, that's one that's not renewed to the Word of God, that's one that's heard more world than word. I, I could say this a lot of ways. Look at this. I could say it like this. The carnal attitude is the one that watches more TV than it does, you know what I'm saying, getting the world's opinion. That's not, that's not just a slide against TV. I didn't mean it like that. But I'm just saying, you know, that's what feeds us a lot of times, the attitudes of the world. Sometimes you co-work with people that are just worldly. And you come home having to try to clean your mind. That's one reason you ought to pray in tongues on the way home is clean all that stuff out that you hear if you have to work around carnal people like that. But now, Philip says the carnal attitude sees no further than natural things. Bad attitude because they don't expect anything other than what the world expects. Can you see that? Read that first part again. The carnal attitude sees no further. The person that's carrying a carnal attitude can't see beyond what they've heard naturally. It's hard for them to have an attitude of expectancy. Nothing's going to work out for me today because I can't see beyond that. How could God get a miracle to me? See? When you're in a tight, like Kristen was in that snowstorm, and you can't imagine, if you think Kristen was in a tight, you ought to be the parent uh, so many hundred miles away. When your daughter's spun around in a snowstorm and ends up in the opposite lane, headed the wrong direction in a snowstorm and cars coming, I said, turn on your flashers. She said, Daddy, I've already got them on. I said, then quit talking to me and call 911. I said, you need somebody closer that can get there to you and get there to you quickly. Well, then when God brings somebody in, see, it's hard. And we, we sometimes, our attitude could have been. Now, I mean, you know, a lot of people get negative at a point like that. Oh, my God, my daughter's going to die in an interstate, you know. Because I heard about, one of my kinfolks one time said that he had moved to, to uh, Chicago. And he had moved from Alabama. This was my uncle, my, my great uncle Bob. So this is my dad's uncle. So this was a man that went from wagons to cars pretty quick, you know, in his lifetime. And he drove a car and went to, to get a job in Chicago. And then a snowstorm came, which he had never seen so much snow as in his lifetime. And he said it was just had snow banked and covered the highway. And he said, that's no problem. This is the Alabama mine dealing with snow. He said, that's no problem. I'll just back my car up and I'll run through that snow bank. And, you know, I, I saw him get piled up on the road. He said, and you know what I did, James? I said, no. He said, I got just as far as that other car had got. <laughs> Sometimes you don't, and, and people develop, but let's go back to this. I don't want to get you off of it. We develop poor attitudes sometimes because our carnal mind has not been renewed, so we can't see far past natural things. Let's read that all again now. Let's read the whole thing. You ready? 
The carnal attitude sees no further than natural things, but the spiritual attitude reaches out after things of the Spirit. The former attitude, that's the worldly attitude, bluntly means death, but the latter means life. Do you see? I love that middle part. The spiritual attitude reaches out after the things of the Spirit. And that's where you and I have got to develop our heart to be. Whether we experience death or life then ultimately depends upon our attitudes. And so I want to talk with you real quick about stopping the diseases of attitude. And I I chose that word disease because disease means, you know, disease typically means something wrong with the physical body that didn't come from accident. Disease means something that came a different way other than accident, you know, through a germ or whatever it might be. But the idea is these diseases kind of slip up on our, our attitude sometimes and affects us. Now, he, don't, don't fuss with me about the word attitude because Jesus is the one that said it ultimately. Of course, Paul quotes it here. But the Holy Spirit says it ultimately ends in death. So disease wouldn't be a bad choice of words, really, would it? That our wrong attitude can actually put us on a course for destruction and death. A lot of Christians don't understand why they have a, fad, a bad, foul spirit of depression sometimes. To where they just despair of life itself. Christians don't understand that. But they don't realize that their attitude worked a disease toward that. And because they didn't do anything about that, it uh, began to develop into something that got heavy. There's, um, well, psychology says there's four levels of attitude. I I don't know that I agree with that. Let let me give them to you right quick. But it just simply means positive attitudes are negative, which are good or bad. You know, it all ultimately goes down to good attitudes or bad attitudes, right? I mean, if you raise children, you dealt with good attitudes and bad attitudes. If you're a school teacher or somebody that works, or you know, especially if you're in management or something like that, you know, you deal often all day long with either good attitudes or bad attitudes. And then there's the third one. Well, psychology says I don't think I agree with it. It says it's a neutral attitude. The neutral attitude is the lazy attitude that says, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to believe that it's going to happen good. I'm just not going to expect nothing in the world. Somebody else can handle that. I'm going to do nothing. To me, that's a bad attitude. (laughs) I mean, that qualifies as a bad attitude. But then they have a fourth one that they call the sickened attitude. Now, that's not S-I-C-K. That's S-I-K-K-E-N, the sickened attitude. And it's the most dangerous because it cannot see a positive attitude for anything. Well, I think that's what happens. That's where depression comes in, but depression can't get in. That sickened attitude can't come until you've entertained a negative attitude long enough. And so when somebody says, I'm just overshadowed with this depression, you need to go back and check what got you there. So stopping the disease of attitude. Now, the Bible has a whole lot to say about our good attitudes or our bad attitudes. I just gave you these references. Watch them on the screen really quick because I'm just going to hit them. And this is nowhere near the number. I really think the list is, it seems almost like the list is endless in the scriptures of what it deals with our attitudes. Now look at the scriptures you just wrote down. Proverbs 17 says, a joyful heart, there's a good attitude, a joyful heart is good medicine for your physical body. But a crushed spirit, that's a bad attitude, a negative attitude, isn't it? But a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So you can see how good attitude gets you blessed, bad attitude gets you in trouble. Colossians 3 said, whatever you do, work heartily. How many of you, especially enjoy work in management, you wish all your employees would work heartily? You know, that's, that's a good attitude. Heartily means put your heart into what you're doing. Again, go back to raising children. And, and you remember now, don't just pick on your children when I say this, because how many of you know you had a parent had to raise you too? That looked like a startling revelation. Some of you just think, oh yeah. But uh, no, think about it. Just for a moment, think about this. When you're raising your children, you ever told them to do something? Or let's, let's change that. You ever made them do something that they didn't want to do? And you made them do it, and they did it, but their heart wasn't right or their attitude wasn't right? And you said, look, you're going to do it with the right attitude too, young man. Oh, I don't know why. That just made me think of my mother. That's just why I said you. Now, how many, of you, how many of you know that attitude was just as important? You know, it's one thing. You're going to do it with the right attitude. Well... That's heartily. That's what heartily means. So here the Bible tells you and I as adults now. It says whatever you do, whatever kind of job you do, whatever kind of work you do, whatever ministry you do, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do in life, work heartily or put your heart into it as for the Lord and not for men. So that's having the right attitude. All right. Psalm 118, you wrote it down. This is the day the Lord's made. Let us what? Rejoice and be glad. Well, see, that's an attitude. The rejoicing attitude, the attitude that's... Obviously, if that becomes one of your first thoughts in the morning, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad, then you're setting your attitude for the day. I'm going to rejoice. No, I don't care what comes up. I'm going to just rejoice. Um, let me take a side note for just a minute. Turn, turn to... Um, uh, actually, I think it's... Uh, 
No, let me just, Habakkuk, I know where it's at, Habakkuk, that's exactly where it's at. Just a side note right quick. So setting your attitude in the mornings is a smart thing to do because how many of you know there's going to be several things before you can get to work even, sometimes before you leave the house, that work against your attitude. And you say, you know what, I made that decision when I got up today, it's going to be a good day, I don't care what it is. Now remember, if you could understand that your attitude was going to affect you, good or bad, you would start avoiding the negative attitude. If I, if I could convince you, and I don't think I could do it in the short time we've got together with the few verses I've got, you know, you need a week or so to do this nonstop. But if I could convince you that God is trying to relate to us that our bad attitudes cause us all the troubles of our life and the good attitudes cause us to avoid all those troubles, death and life is the division. If I could convince you of that, then you'd say, you know what, then I'm going to change my attitude. But a lot of times people go out and carry the same attitude because they don't see that, that that's really right. In other words, the Word hadn't become the final authority in your life. Now, you're not a faith man or a faith woman if the Word of God has not become the final authority of your life. So, go back to this scripture on the screen now. Just a minute. You hold Habakkuk, the last chapter, by the way, if you'll turn over there. I know I hadn't found it yet, but I know that's where I'm going. Habakkuk, the last chapter. Yes, it is. Now, look on the screen one more time. To make a decision like this in the morning, Psalm 1824 says, This is the day the Lord has made. I will... Now, the word will is an act of my will. As an act of my will, I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Or we could say it like this, as an act of my will, because God made this day, I'm going to set my attitude in the right manner or a good attitude. Now, look, for example, somebody said, yeah, but what if things go wrong? Brother James, you don't know what went on with me today. I don't know what went on, but look what God said about it in the 17th verse of Habakkuk chapter 3. Now, this is a side note. Verse 17. Although the fig tree, now think about being a fig farmer where your livelihood depends on the figs, all right? They were agricultural society, and it did. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olives shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I'll joy in the God of my salvation. Well, now, that's not the way we would have read that. We said if the fig tree doesn't blossom and the vines don't, you know, don't have their fruit and the olive tree fails and there's no meat in the fields, I shall cuss everybody out I see today. I know that's an extremity, but how many of you know what I'm talking about? It just immediately with most people starts a bad, grumpy attitude. You just, and so the excuse people want to blame, you just don't know what they did. You just don't know what the boss said to me today. You don't know what my wife said on the way to work today. You don't know. Well, I don't, it doesn't matter. He said, though everything's failing and going wrong, I'm going to still rejoice in the Lord because the attitude is what's going to get him blessed even in a bad time of crops or whatever it may be. Now go back to this. So this is the day the Lord's made. That's setting your attitude. The Bible says a lot about it. Here's the other one. Ephesians chapter 4. It says, let, now think about attitude. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger. Those are attitudes, aren't they? All bitterness, wrath and anger too, and clamor and slander. Be put away from you. Get rid of the bad attitudes, simply put. And then he says, put, a, put it away along with all malice. Be kind one to another. What's he saying? Shift your attitude. Be kind one to another. That's a different attitude. Tender-hearted. That's a different attitude. Forgiving. That would be a new attitude for some of you. Forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. God in Christ forgave you. So he's saying, but the the point I'm trying to make, not spend a lot of time on this, is just say, he's saying, get rid of the bad attitudes. They're destroying you anyway. And get the right attitude so you can get some victory in your life. Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't let the attitude of fear or anxious or fretting. That's an attitude. An attitude of not, not expecting God's word to work in your life because you get into fear. Don't be anxious about anything. And then final one that you wrote down, First Thessalonians 5 says, rejoice always. That's having the right attitude. But it all boils down to make sure you're carrying the right attitudes. And those attitudes, we're just going to say good or bad or positive and negative attitudes. The list is seemingly endless. I, I started dealing with this the other day thinking about, you know, you can have a positive attitude. It's kind of like in your math I don't think this would hold true for everything about algebra, I don't think. But if you have a positive, well, it might. I, I'm going to give you something. This, this something don't, don't write this down in case I'm wrong, okay? This is something I hadn't really thought out much. But I, just, I said this to Susan the other day. The thought went through my, my spirit the other day. And I know it had to be the Lord. He said, James, he said, the attitude is a lot like, the, um, like, like math or algebra, multiplication, for example. Two positives, think of two positives when you multiply, they keep a positive, right? Two positives make a positive. 
two positive people will produce positively. But if you bring a negative person in, I don't care how positive you are, a negative person's attitude, if you allow that to mix with yours, will produce a negative. But I questioned the Lord. I said, well, Lord, how do two negative people make a positive? He said, at least two negative people are smart enough to know they're wrong. That's the difference in lukewarm and cold. So it's, a, it's an important thing. But anyway, don't, don't let negative attitudes in. That's the same. So the list seems endless. What we see is both sides now, positive and negative. Hold the positive, stop the negatives is what he's trying to get across to us. Here's a literal definition for the word attitude. And we've already found it in the Bible, so let me give you a definition for it. Attitude means a settled, and I emphasize that word settled, it means a settled way of thinking. So most people that carry a bad attitude have already settled in their mind. That's the way they're going to respond today. I'm a grumpy individual, so therefore I'm going to be grumpy. See, that's already settled. And, and to get rid of that, you have to uproot that. So attitude means a settled way of thinking, but listen, the definition continues. A settled way of thinking typically reflected in a person's behavior. So we know that about attitude, but just think about it. And, and it also, what some of the definitions say, and it's usually carried in a person's posture. You can almost see a person before they open their mouth what attitude they have. Again, go back, if you've raised children, you've seen when the attitude wasn't right. You know, maybe I'd tell James to sit down or something, you know, and he'd, he'd be sitting down, but I could tell his eyes, he's standing up on the inside. You know what I'm saying? He was not down there because he wanted to be. And so you got to work on that attitude. Attitude means a settled way of thinking, typically reflected in a person's behavior or their posture even. And it reflects in the posture, posture of the body, implying a mental state. You can see a person, the way they carry themselves is what their mental state is sometimes. And you can tell they've got a bad negative attitude. Rather than being a team player, sometimes people are a long ranger and, and they don't want to work with people when God trying to put a, put a team together. And you have to say, you know what, God, this is the body of Christ. I'm not, a, I'm not an island. And we need each other and we need to work together. But you can see attitudes like that. Bad attitudes and so on. An example of a bad attitude. Now, this is just a quick example. Is a, this is a, used in a sentence. In an attitude of despair, his, his chin sunk to his chest. You know, we understand how you can read a person's bodily posture and pick up on their attitudes pretty quick. Winston Churchill, one of the greatest leaders, as you know, in World War II, Winston Churchill said this, attitude is a small thing that makes a big difference. Now, this was a man that had to lead an army, the British army, had to lead the British army to a victory in order to save their, their nation. And he said, an attitude is a small thing that makes a big difference. Again, I know I mentioned this Sunday, but how many of you know that's true in the area of sports? We mentioned that about a pep talk. If you can get a person with the right attitude, it's maybe a small thing, but it's actually going to make a big difference in their life, just having the right attitude. Well, why is that? It's because the Bible's correct. Because the Bible's correct about how to live. The Bible has the right thing to say about watch out for the bad attitudes, get rid of them, nullify them, and get the right ones in there. A positive attitude then is looking... Now, now I'm going to give you a list. You might want to write some of this down. Here's what is, identifies a positive attitude. A positive attitude is looking for the greater good. A person that's always looking for the greater good. How can this be an overall good thing for the whole church, the whole family, the whole work? Looking for the greater good. Not just about selfish. You, know, you remember the scriptures we read there? It used the word selfish in some translations. The reason most people carry a bad attitude is because they're selfish. And, and they, you know, they feel like if you get your portion, they might not get theirs. When the truth is, God's got enough portion for everybody. That's why selfishness is a poor thing. Because God never put us in this planet to be a selfish individual. Selfish attitude is a destructive attitude. And so, a positive attitude is one that's always looking for the greater good. How can this affect everybody better? The greater good. Another thing that you'll see a characteristic of a positive attitude is an attitude of confidence. So the opposite, if you see someone that doesn't have a confident spirit, you can tell they've got a, you could call it a poor attitude. And that poor attitude is going to make them fail. Now, how many times, and I can't give you illustrations tonight, we know this, but I'm just reminding you of this. How many times have we seen somebody with the, the underdog, the underdog with the right attitude wins when the overconfident in themselves, not in God's ability through them, ends up being the failure. And so in the scripture in the book of, uh, where is it, in uh, Ecclesiastes, it says that the race 
I think I'm right. Y'all quote me. It might be Isaiah, but I'm thinking it's Ecclesiastes where he says, the race doesn't always go to the swiftest runner. Sometimes, well, the tortoise and the hare taught us that, you know. It doesn't always go to the swiftest runner. He said, the battle's not always won by the strongest man or the strongest army. Because sometimes it's just the one that's got the most consistency. And that comes from attitude, confidence. Confidence is a big important thing. If you're battling depression, you have no confidence. And so you have to recognize it. Where did I get, where did I get depressed? Depressed is the ultimate no. You don't want to get to a place of depression where the thing sinks in because then you feel like you can't get out of it. Am I right in that? And so you don't want to allow that. That's the, that's the ultimate thing. Now, you can have that thing turned around by God's help, but it's harder. So what I'm saying is if you want to get rid of it or you want to avoid depression, make sure you're dealing with things like this. You're not letting a lack of confidence come into your life. Not, not self-confidence in yourself, don't misunderstand me, but confidence in God's ability through you. Okay. So, positive attitude is always looking for the greater good. It's got confidence. Another positive attitude characteristic is happiness. A happy person is carrying the right attitude. Well, Brother Jane, I don't know. I'm just not a happy person. We know you've got a bad attitude. You know, I'm trying to get this across to you so you understand. It's destroying you. Doesn't make you a macho man or a tough woman to, to not be a happy person any more than being happy makes you weak. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have joy, you may be the weakest person in town, according to the scriptures. Positive attitude, looking for the greater good, having confidence, one of happiness. Here's another one. Just this was interesting. One of the main characteristics of a good attitude or positive attitude is sincerity. A person that's sincere. You're sincere because you know the promises of God are true and God's going to work this thing out so you can be serious and you can be sincerely devoted to a person to help them because you know this thing's going to turn around. You don't, you don't worry about that. Sincerity. And the other one is we've already mentioned is determination. A good attitude is one of determination. You know, when James is doing something in sports and sometimes things, or, or believing, you know, faith project. I've raised four children, Susan, I have. Well, I should say Susan's raised five children, really, is what I should say. But... When you've raised children, you work a lot with them on determination about something. And so often you find them in a faith project. They're believing for their first car. They're believing for a motorcycle. Or they're believing for a new dress. Or they're believing for something. You know, whatever. For whatever in their life. And they get discouraged. Sometimes when you're believing for something, somebody at school will say something discouraging to you. And it'll hurt your feelings. And, and, and just get mad. Well, just forget it. I don't even want it. Like, like one time... Uh, James was believing for something big. I won't go into the details of it. He was believing for something really big. And somebody said something at school that kind of hurt his feelings. And he just, he'd been believing for this for months. And he came home in that day and he said, I don't even want it now. Just forget it. I don't want it. I said, you let one person. He said, well, my friend said, I said, they weren't your friend. You'll never have a friend. Try to, I, I know what a friend will do. A friend sticks closer than a brother. And, and, or a friend, true friend would. And I said, I've got friends. If I'd have been in a situation like that, my friends would have said, don't you give up, James. They would encourage me. They wouldn't try to take it away from me and they're my thoughts. They're not a friend. You got to, you'd let a devil-inspired a, a devil person talk you out of your faith project. And that's a bad attitude. Well, I feel bad about it right now. Dad. I just want to be down about it. You know, that's, he didn't say that, but I'm just saying that's the way we are. I just, give me a little while to just wallow in my pity. No. You're losing your determination when you're doing that. And if you lose your determination, you won't get what you're after. And I'm not going to let you wallow around in that. I mean, as a parent, now wouldn't that be nice if we had a parent that wouldn't let us? But now we're adults and we have to make that decision ourselves and God tells us what to do, but you've got to make right decisions. Determination. Negative attitude. Look at some of the characteristics of the negative. Now this, this won't be long, but just jot it down. We'll be out of here in a minute. Negative attitude is one, number one, is they ignore the good things in life. That's the one, number one characteristic of people that have a negative attitude, or you can tell a bad attitude, is when a person ignores all the good things in life. They don't expect things to work out good for them. They're the ones that expect, well, if I do get a vacation, something will go wrong. Uh, if, I, if I do get a chance to do this, you know, something else will mess up and take my money and I won't be able to do that, you know, and that kind of thing. They expect things to go wrong, so they ignore the good things in life. And when good things do happen, they're negative about it. You can always tell that. Another thing is they expect to fail. They just expect things are not going to go their way. You know, I, I, I've, I know I've already tried that once before and it didn't work, so it probably won't work this time. That's a negative attitude. Listen to this quote. I thought this was really interesting. You may have heard this before. I thought this was really good. It says, 
this is a quote, a bad attitude is like a flat tire. You'll never go anywhere until you change it. Now, I like that. That's, that's interesting. You're never going to go anywhere with a bad attitude. You say, well, I'm already somewhere. You think you are, but you're not where God wants you to be. Not if you go there with a bad attitude. A bad attitude is like a flat tire. You'll never go anywhere until you change it. Bad attitude also, if you're writing this list, continues, shows up in anger. Anger. Somebody that's always just got a hot flare of anger, and they'll say, well, that just runs in my family. Oh, really? Bad attitudes ran in your family. Well, don't you want to stop that, you know? You say, it's not, you say well, no, it's not a bad attitude, it's anger. Oh, anger is a characteristic of a bad attitude. See? Anger, another one that runs very frequent in a person of bad attitude is doubt. They just always doubt things. Well, I doubt that. Oh, I don't think that'd work. Well, when cats fly or something, they say, whatever they say, when pigs fly, that'll happen, you know. Be a cold day and H-E double toothpick before that ever comes, you know, that kind of thing. That's the person of doubt. And here's another one. This one's a little subtle, but yet it's still an attitude, a bad attitude or characteristic of a bad negative attitude, and that's frustration. Always frustrating. Now, that's one that I found myself in quite often when things weren't going my way. I became frustrated. But when you recognize it's just the characteristics of a bad attitude and God's not pleased with it, you repent of it, you get out of it, and you say, I'm going to be confident and I'm going to have happiness and show up the way I'm supposed to. And it's not pleasant. I know it's not pleasant to talk about the negative attitudes. And, and some people would say, you ought to just avoid th- talking about them. And, but I don't believe that. I, I believe you have to deal with negative things. I think you have to deal with them, take authority over it, cast it out, and just say, I, I cast down that negative attitude in me. You know, recognize it. Let me me tell you how you can really stop a bad attitude for the rest of your life is correct yourself in front of your peers. You know, I mean, right in front of all your coworkers or whatever you got, right in front of them to say, you know what, that was a real negative attitude in me and I rebuke that thing in the name of Jesus and I'm not going to let that in me again. Then you think the next time before you respond to that bad attitude, you think, oh, they heard me use my faith. I I can't back down now. And it'll really help you get rid of a bad attitude. But start treating it like the devil that it is. No, I'm not letting that bad attitude creep up on me. And things go wrong at your house and you want to take it out on you. How many of you know this? Sometimes we take it out on the people that are most special to us, that we love the most. We'll have a bad attitude. Somebody asked me that. I guess I've had that question asked me a dozen times since I've been a pastor. They'll say, Brother James, why is it that I'll have a bad attitude with my wife or my husband but I won't, I'll be nice with my coworkers. And yeah, and you bet your wife sees that too. You know, she runs. Why are you always nice to them, but you're mad at me? Well, the bottom line to that is, is because we know that our wife, or at least we assume, our wife or our husband will forgive us. We know the coworkers won't, or our boss won't. Boss will just fire us for that bad attitude sometimes if it goes far enough. But we know our wife, we can take it all out on them. But that's the wrong thing to do. Besides, it's robbing us from receiving what we need because we exemplified that wrong attitude and it gave the devil right away to work in our lives. So we have to take authority over it. Don't deal with it. Oh, I say deal with it. I say take authority over it, put it out in the open and deal with it and say, sweetheart, I'm sorry I acted that way. That's a bad attitude and it's causing us to have to wait longer for our blessing to come to pass. Can I have a better amen? And just deal with it and deal with it quick. If you don't deal with it, it's the curse. It's part of the negative things. It's like saying... (laughs) If you don't want to deal with it, that's like saying, I don't believe in weeds and you're trying to grow a garden. Look, I'm going to be a faith man. I don't believe in weeds. Turn my head to the garden. I don't believe what happened. What will happen? The weeds will grow right up to your feet. You have to go out and hoe them. You have to get them out. Take the the hoe out. You have to get whatever it takes to remove those weeds and get them out of the garden. Uh, Ignoring them doesn't get rid of them, but dealing with them does. That's the way the curse operates. And and if the curse... Kudzu. Wish they'd left that in the Orient, <laughs> you know. But have you ever seen a place that you might have an issue with that on some of your property? But have you ever seen that where kudzu starts taking over an area? What happens if you let it go? It just it'll take over more and more ground. Ignoring it will cause the problem. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. If good attitude people don't deal with bad attitude problems, then the negative attitude will just take over. And so you have to deal with it. Even if you got the right attitudes, you still have to deal with that negative and take authority over it, stop it, and say, I'm not, for a, for a parent, you have to say, I'm not permitting that attitude in my house. 
Susan tells that to me sometimes. She'll look at me, James Gordon, I'm not permitting that. I'm not really, but I wish she would. But we, we deal with those things. We're not perfect, but if we don't deal with them, the jungle takes over the village. The cur- that's the curse. And anything you don't push back grows. How, how far will the weeds grow? How far will the kudzu come? All the way to you. It'll take you over if you don't deal with it. So you don't, may not like dealing with it, but you're going to have to deal with it to get rid of it. Negative. It, here's, one man said this. I thought this was interesting. and You might want to write it down and think about it. He said, negative is normal. Now, what he meant by that was it's a normal reaction you're going to deal with in this world. There's always going to be negative people. But let me finish his statement, all right? He said, negative is normal, but it's not successful. So you, can, you say, well, everybody's angry. Yeah, it's normal, but it's not going to get you what you're after. So deal with it and get rid of it. Is, don't use the excuse that it's normal. You say, look, I know everybody's fussing and everybody's attitude is maybe bad that I work with, but you know, I'm going to be the abnormal one here and handle it and deal with it. You cannot ignore the negative because it's part of that war between good and bad, daylight and uh, light and darkness. If the, wherever the light ceases to be, the darkness takes over. Accomplishment and failure, whatever you don't pursue, failure will just take over. Say amen if you can see all that. So what, what, do, what do good positive attitudes keep you doing in life? They'll keep you pursuing. They'll keep you still chasing your dreams, believing God that something good's going to happen, and you keep pursuing. You won't give up. Like the garden or the jungle, we said, you just keep pushing back. Amen. Somebody said this, endeavor is better than ease. Endeavor. What do you mean by endeavor? Well, attempts or efforts to do something is always better than being relaxed because if you relax, the curse takes over. And so it's the same way with our attitudes. You have to really work at these good attitudes, developing them, because most of us have had more time of practicing in wrong negative attitudes. I've got a few head nods. Is that anybody else agree with that? It's, it's, it's true. I mean, most of us have spent more time dealing with the negative. That's just part of the world. It's normal, but it's, it's not successful. Now, what do you do to change it? You believe in the possibility of a happy, successful life. You've got to believe in it. Now, that's why we, we talk about positive thinking so much. And you say, well, where did that positive thinking term come from? Is that something out of self-helps gurus? And no. Positive thinking is the Bible. Amen. Positives and negatives. You understand what positive and negatives are. Positives are things that are pluses. Negatives are things that take from you. Pluses add to your life. Negatives take from your life. And so that's why you don't want to deal with the... Don't want to, uh, entertain the negative things because you want to have a happy, successful life. And you've got to keep believing in the possibility of things. And the Bible, now I know I don't need to tell you this, but you know it, and this is for everybody that might listen by a cassette or some other means later. And that is this, the Bible is the only book written that will cause you to believe positively. It's the only one that's got the power to do it. The power of God's in it. The Bible is the only one that can do it. And so let me just spend the last minute Dealing with this, I'm making for you and I to make a decision tonight, I hope you'll do this on May the 22nd, 2019, is to flush out all the negative attitudes of your life with the Bible promises that will bring in the positive attitudes. You just got to do it that way. One of the wisest men that ever lived, and, and this was uh, a, a great man. I, I like to read after. I'll tell you his name another time. But here's what he said. He said, people can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. He said that was one of the greatest discoveries of the 19th century, is that men could actually alter their lives by altering their minds of thought, or the thought of their minds. By changing attitudes, rather. If you alter the attitude of your heart, or the attitude of your mind, you can actually change the course of your life. Amen. Isn't that good? So make the decision to flush out all your old ways of thinking, and fill your mind with God's thoughts, the Bible. And I'll tell you a real quick story. There was a successful, very, one, of the, one of the greatest successful businessmen that I've ever read his story. And I heard a man describe his factory that he owned. This was in the early 1900s, 1930s, 1940s, and I don't know how long it consisted. But this man was one of the most successful businessmen in our nation. And he had a man, the one I was reading after, said that he went to this man's factory and he said, I saw it to be one of the greatest factories of our time. It had all the modern equipment of the day. He said, it had the best relationship between management and laborers that I've ever seen in my life. Everybody seemed to be happy. It was, and of course, very large employees, uh, number of employees. 
And he said, everybody seemed to be happy. Nobody grumped on anybody. It just seemed, it was an amazing place. He said, I was escorted then into the man's offices, the office suite or the office complex, and said it was tremendous. He said, I saw beautiful paints on the walls and beautiful paintings. He said, I saw some of the most fabulous wood, the most beautiful desk. I've never seen anything so modern in all my days. This was written back in the 1940s. I think it was. And he said, I've never seen anything as modern as this man's business and company had to be one of the wealthiest factories in our nation. He said, but it seemed odd to me when I walked in, he said, I saw one thing in that modern office that was old and it was a Bible sitting on the the owners or the, the chief executive officer saw it sitting on his desk and said, I had to ask him. I asked him about it. He said, I see all this modern stuff. And yet I see an old book laying there called the Bible. Why, why have you got that there? And he said, well, let me tell you the story. He said, it's the secret to my success. He said, my mother gave me that Bible. It was new. She gave it to me when I was a young boy going off to college. And said, I took it from an old woman. He said, I thought she was. She was probably about 40. But to me, she was old. He said, I took that old book from her to appease her. And I put it in my stuff. And I never opened it in college. I never opened it in the early days of my life and working. Because he said, I did not think it had any value to my life. I didn't look at it at all. And he said, but my life was a mess. He said, I ruined everything I put my hand on. Listen to some of these statements I wrote down. He said, "Um, I I, I ruined everything. He said, everything went wrong in my life because I was wrong. Everything about me was wrong. He said, my thinking was wrong. My acting was wrong. My doing was wrong. He said, I was a very negative young man. He said, I was resentful. Now, Think about these characteristics and see if you can identify yourself with any of them. If you do, make the choice to flush these thoughts out, like we said. He said, I was a very negative person. I was always resentful. I was very angry. I was cocky or arrogant. And I was very opinionated. He said, nobody could tell me anything because I knew it all. I thought I knew everything. He said, and I griped about everything. And he said, I had nothing. He said, but my problem was my thinking. And he said, one day, he said, I was going through some boxes to find something that I was looking for, and I ran across that Bible. And he said, for the first time after all those years that my mother had given to me, I thought, well, he said, because mother was gone now, and he said, I saw that Bible, and I remembered her giving that to me, and said it kind of brought back nostalgic memories to me. So I just kind of opened it in memory of mother, and said one of the first verses that opened up was Psalm 27. Look in the screen. I'll just show it to you. He said, I found this verse, Psalm 27, 1 through 3, and I'm just putting part that he emphasized. He said, the Lord is the strength of my life. In this will I be confident. And he said, for some reason, I don't know why, he said, that just jumped out at me, but he said, everything about my life was weakness. Everything about my life was weak and powerless for change. I had no ability to do anything in my life. I was weak, and if there's anything I needed was strength. And he said, that just jumped out at me. The Lord is the strength of my life. and this, I'll be confident. He said, I had no confidence. I was one of the most, I lacked more confidence than anybody you'd ever know. And he said, but I just said, you know what? I'm going to take that. Mother said this book would help me. He said, I'm going to take it. And he said, I really believe what happened to me that night was I had a conversion that night. He said, I just gave my life over to God. And I said, Lord, when I get up from this floor where he was sitting there going through stuff, he said, I'm going to take this Bible. I'm going to base my life on it. I failed anyway. You said you'd give me strength. And I can be confident in that. And I'm going to have confidence in it. And he said, I've done that. He said, I've lived my life. And that's the secret to the success of this factory and this all this success that I have is because I live every day by the authority and by the basis of that Bible. Amen. And now he's, you see he wore the Bible out living his life by it. So he flushed out all those negative thoughts um, by simply knowing the Lord was the strength of his life. Got rid of his weakness, his failure. He had no faith prior to that. He said no confidence. But that night, he said, his pattern shifted from negative to a positive. And he said, I started trusting that I was going to put everything in God's hands and I was going to trust his word for everything. And, and he, this was his last statement about that. He said, and when I started doing that, he said it took some time. But he said, gradually, the new thoughts of God remade me and made me a different man. And that illustrates that you can think your way into a, in a better life and out of depression to success and happiness. Here's a quote by what was known as one of the most intelligent writers of our country. He said this, he said, there's a deep tendency in human nature to become precisely like that which you habitually imagine yourself to be. 
I want to say that again. I think that's a powerful word. There's a deep tendency in human nature to become precisely like that which you habitually, or out of habit, imagine yourself to be. So we're talking about taking control. This this will be our last scripture, and I'll close here. Let's just look at this. I'm going to tell you one thing the Lord said to me, and I'll let you go home. Look at this on the screen, Proverbs 16. This one says something about attitudes. It says, He that is slow to anger is better than a mighty strong man. A person that's slow to let that attitude of anger come out is actually better than a mighty person. And he that ruleth his spirit, please watch this, you've got to see this. He that ruleth his spirit is better than a person that could take a whole city. If you could control it. Well, look at this in the GNV, Good News Version. He that ruleth his own mind, see there's your thoughts. He that ruleth your own mind is better than he that winneth the city. If you could just rule your own mind. That's, that has to do with attitudes. Would you agree? And look at this in the Good News Testament now, GNT. It's better to win control over yourself than over whole cities. You'd be a more successful person than a warrior that could win a city if you could just control your own attitudes. And that's what he's saying. So I just pray that you'll begin tonight with me as I'm, I'm making an effort to do this. But begin tonight to start working with the Bible to get a new mirrored image of your own self, and your own identity. And let these verses of the Bible as you read every day reshape your thinking. Redirect your attitudes. And then end up this series, then walk in newness of life with God, like he said. And then he said this to me, and I'll just give you this. When I I wrote that down at the end, I was saying, Lord, then that will remind them then to walk in that newness of life with those new attitudes. And the Lord said, why don't you tell them to just dance through life and let me be their dance partner, he said. He said, it's a lot happier. And he said, that's the way I want my children to live. It's just dancing through life. You know, Norval Hayes, all of you remember Brother Norval. His wife, now of course he and his wife both are in heaven now, but Maggie, when he married, Maggie was a beautiful, beautiful lady. And Susan, I enjoyed Maggie and Norval staying in our home several times. You know, they would make themselves home. When Norval would come to the house, he didn't even want to leave. He loved Susan's cooking. And uh, the only problem, he, he liked the heat on in July. <laughs> you know, he'd tell me, on July we'd have the air running trying to stay, you know, comfortable. And he'd say, please turn the heat on. <laughs> you know, so we, I never did turn the heat on, but I always turn the, the air off for him. Which was the same as turning the heat on, and uh, but they just get they'd make themselves at home, and Maggie would just walk through our house, and it blessed Susan not so much, but she'd just walk through the house barefoot, usually dancing through the house barefoot, and and Norval would just sit in a big easy chair, telling what he wanted. I want some tea. I want some more of that okra. I want some of this. You know, he just and and Maggie would just float through the house like this. She'd say, oh, and she'd sing the song. She'd say, whatever Brother Norval wants, Brother Norval gets. Whatever Brother Norval wants. <laughs> and she was the happiest, as we'd say, happy-go-luckiest person in the world, just free of all care and worry. And when I said that tonight, Lord, then we'll walk in that newness of life if we change those attitudes, right? And he said, no, tell them to dance through life with me. Make me, make Jesus your dance partner. Amen. Praise God. Stand up with me and we'll, we'll dismiss you. Father, I thank you for beautiful people. And I thank you for this great congregation. We're a team that's going to go somewhere and win this world to Jesus.